as we gather together this weekend, we'll, we're going to finish up this, this idea of serving. We're not going to finish serving. We're not done. This was really to kind of maybe in a really positive way to give you a kick in the pants or light a fire or to say, hey, what can we do to make a difference in this community? That's essentially what we're asking. And, and so I want to finish up this weekend. I want to talk about the rewards of a servant. And I want to ask you just a question as we get started this weekend. What if Jesus were to return today? What if He were to return today? I mean, think about that. What would you do if at the end of the service, Jesus is standing in our parking lot, leaning against the pole, and He says, hey, I'm back. Are you ready? <laughs> Somebody has right said, rightly said, and I think it's true, and I'm not making a prediction at all, that we're, we're not part of the planning party. We're part of the welcoming party as far as Jesus is concerned. We don't plan His return. We're, re- we're to be ready to welcome Him when He returns. But the question is, what do you want to be doing when Jesus returns? What do you want to be involved in? What do you... What do you want him? What do you want him to catch you doing, right? Um, if Jesus were to show up today, think about just pat on the past day, where you were, what you did, where what happened, and Jesus were there when you turned around, and he said, "I'm back." What have you been up to? What would you say? Would you would you be embarrassed? Would you be happy? Would you be relieved? The passage we're going to look at this weekend speaks of how to live our lives knowing that Jesus could return at any time. So what I want you to take away this weekend is this. How you are living today is foundational to how you will be rewarded by Him. How you are living today is foundational to how you will be rewarded by Him. That's essentially what we want to talk about. So we're going to be in, the, in Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And I'm going to start reading in a moment. But I want to give you a little background. Plus, I want to give you a little time to turn there in your, in your Bibles. At whether at the UD campus or the Kennedy campus, we all have Bibles. And you, whether you have it on your phone or whether you want to just use the chair Bible, I don't have the chair Bible, so I can't tell you what page number, but it's in the New Testament somewhere. I've heard the Gospel of Matthew is. And so we're going to be at Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. But I want to give you a, a little bit of context before we actually dive into the text. Um, Jesus is going to teach a parable here. Now, parables were just stories, and they're meant to be stories with a lesson. The key to reading the parables is this. Don't make a parable say something that it doesn't say. In other words, don't take every part of a parable and say, this means this, and this means this, and this means this, because you'll get into trouble. Now, it's true that you'll take parts of the parable and say, this refers to God, this refers to this. But you've got to be careful about how far you go or how much you stretch the parable out. 
the parable that we're going to look at is the parable of the ten, uh, uh, is really the parable of the talents. But before that parable, there's the parable of the ten virgins. And the the point of that parable is that there's this 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 wedding thing that's going on, and they have lamps, and it's a it's a very different type of a wedding party than in our day, uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, the woman wasn't the the the, the the big deal in the wedding in those days. The guy was. And that's the way probably it should be, but it isn't. <laughs> Frankly, I don't care. But I don't think many guys do either. Ah, whatever, if she wants her day. <laughs> but in that time, it was, it, was, it was a big thing. And so they were to wait for the couple as they rode, you know, through town. And they were to have lamps. And they had to have enough oil in their lamps so that when everybody came, when they came through, they were ready, and you know some of the some of them weren't ready. And the whole point of the parable is that Jesus is the bridegroom, and He's going to be coming, and and some people aren't going to be ready, and some are. Right? That's essentially what that parable is about. And then He talks about the parable of the talents, and He basically says, okay, so the parable of the ten virgins is about being ready. The parable of the talents mean is about what does it look like? To be ready. What does that look like? What does that look like? And Jesus effectively uh, teaches what it means to watch. So the the story contrasts two servants who were were industrious with their master's money and one servant who was not. So I want to read that to you because I think it's really important that we read the Word of God and we don't just talk about it. So uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And he then left on his trip. The servant who had received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who had received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant uh, uh, to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, You gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now, So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you did not plant and gathering crops you did not cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops 
I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least it could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. So we need to talk a little bit about a couple of the things that that are covered in this parable. The first one is, what is a talent? You know, they they talk about these talents. And and in, in our translation, they talk about bags of silver. But you may have read a translation that said talent. And essentially, the, the bags of silver is a good translation of the word. The idea is a talent was a weight of measurement. And most people believe that it was a measurement of some sort of, of precious metal, whether that was gold or silver. Our translated, translation translated it silver. could be gold. We're not really sure. But we know that it was something valuable. The best way to comprehend the value of the ancient talent in uh, today's economy is to understand the earning power of what this master had given to these servants. One talent, it is estimated, uh, was a large amount of money. In fact, one talent would be the equivalent today of 20 years of labor. So picture your job working for 20 years However much money you earned in that 20 years would be equivalent to one talent. So he gave five talents to one. He gave, you know, two talents to another, and he gave one to another. So there's the point. He, he's giving a, a, a tremendous amount of money. Now, this isn't all that the master has because he said, <laughs> he said, basically, he said, this is a small amount in comparison to what I have. Right. So he has much, much more than that. But he's giving them a portion of what he has. The other thing, too, is uh, in this passage, we have the word servant and we use the word servant. But the word literally is doulos. And you saw somebody uh, for the workday had the Greek word doulos, which means servant. It doesn't mean servant. It means slave. Literally, it's it's slave. And the idea here is. It's speaking of a slave-master relationship. It's it's dealing with somebody who is, and you have to. We here's what we have to do when we get to a parable like this and we hear this word slave. We think about our America and slavery in America, and we jump to that. And what we're doing is we're applying our view of slavery and our time of slavery and our kind of slavery back to this. And what we have to do is we have to step away and say Jesus is using an illustration from his time, from his culture, but he is making a point. The point is the relationship between the man who is the master and the the men who are slaves is one where when the master says you do something, you do it. And and there's no debate about it. There's no uh, debate. He is essentially God to them, so to speak. And so what we have to do is we have to be very careful that we set aside our modern view of slavery so that we can catch the point of the parable. Jesus is not making a point about whether slavery is good or not. He's trying to show a relationship that was very prevalent within his culture 
that had the idea that when the master said jump, you said how high. That's his point. Now, there's four lessons that we can learn from this uh, parable of the talents. The first one is this. The state of our being, that we are slaves. And the Bible, and the, and the Bible says this essentially. It said it in the Old Testament. It says it in the New Testament, too. It says that we are slaves to someone or something. Every one of us is a slave. Now, we need to understand that we are slaves. The Bible teaches that we're all slaves. Uh, we, give our lives, uh, we give our lives to whatever is the slave in our life. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6. He says this in verse 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You could be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And so Paul is essentially saying it. You can be a slave to sin, or you can be a slave to God, which you are a slave. Now, we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to Christ. Some of us, even Christians, often operate as though we have no allegiance to anyone. Have you noticed that? And this is strong in our American pop culture where we say, I should be able to do, I want to do whatever I want to do. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I make my own choices. I have freedom. I'm an individual. I call my own shots. I make my own choices. I live my own lives or I live my life for myself. And essentially that's part, that has become so much part of the DNA of the Christian culture today that we live our lives as though it doesn't, really matter what anyone else thinks or what God thinks. We're going to live the way we want to live. But the Bible, we're told that we are purchased by a great price of the blood of Christ, that we have become slaves to Him, that we are not our own, we belong to Him. So the question is, if you look back at your life for the last week, the last couple of weeks, even the last couple of days, would you say, I have been living my life as a servant slash slave to God? Or would you say, you know, God really hasn't come into play much in any way in my life in the last couple days, last couple weeks. I'm kind of just doing my own thing. I don't even ask. I just kind of go do my own thing. So, this parable is assuming that we understand that we are slaves we are slaves to God. If, we are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this says that you read the epistles, many times Paul will say, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. He's, he's making it very clear. He says, I only have one master and it's God. And I look to God every day for what he wants me to do. And essentially, again, this isn't for the Green Beret or the the Navy Seals of Christianity. This is for everybody that calls themselves a Christian. I mean, frankly, didn't Jesus do that when he walked on this earth? He said what? He said, come follow me. He said, no, wait, 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 wait. I just got to do. No, 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 no. Well, I could follow you, but I just need. No, 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 no. You, You just have to follow me. When I say jump, you say how high. Do we have that view that we're his slave? This is what Jesus means when he says, follow me. All right, so that's the first one, the state of our being. Secondly, the focus of our service, that we're here to serve Jesus, not ourselves. In the parable, the master went away and left some of his wealth with his slaves to tend. He distributed a portion of his wealth to each slave. And notice what it says, according to their ability. (laughs) According to their ability. In other words, 
What this parable clearly is saying is some of you have a greater ability, trustworthiness, to handle what God wants to give you. And it is what it is. I mean, frankly, it is what it is. The master is very wealthy. This is not all of his wealth. It's just a portion of it. And so he gives according to your ability. Now, the master... Here's the other thing. The master didn't have to give this money to the servants, slaves. He didn't have to. He didn't say, okay, I need to find a way to make money. I'll get these guys to help me. No, he didn't need them to help him make more money. He had more than enough money, so it wasn't like he needed them. But he chose to include them because it was a way for him to test them. That's what he's doing. He's testing whether they truly are following Him, whether they truly are obedient to Him or not. That's essentially what they're asking. The Master didn't have to do it. He could have done anything, but He did this to, trust, to, to test them, to see if He could trust them. Now, as slaves, the only reasonable action was to take care of the Master's resources. They were given the opportunity to serve the Master. The question is, would they? Would they? He is going to give them, according to their ability, what they could handle. And the test was, what are you going to do with what I've given you? Don't you see that's exactly what God has done with us? He's given us gifts and abilities. He's given us time, our talent, and our treasure. And He says, I'm going to give you this much. Can I trust you with it? Because here's the point. One day He's going to call His accounts together and He's going to say, okay, what did you do? I gave you this much time. I gave you these abilities and gifts. I gave you this much money, treasure. What would you do with that? What would you do with that? Okay, now this begs the question for us. How are we managing the opportunities, the resources that God has given us? They may be resources of people or time or money. Uh, do you, let me ask you a question. Do you see the people around you, the opportunities around you as opportunities for you to multiply the master's kingdom, the master's resources? Have, have, do you view that? Do you go around and say, okay, here's another opportunity for me to serve God. Here's another opportunity to multiply his kingdom, to bring more people into his kingdom, to help somebody who's, who, who needs help. Remember, remember what Jesus said? He, he says, there's, there's going to be a group of people that come to me, and he's going to say, I was in prison. I was hungry. You fed me. I was in prison. You visited me. And they said, wait, 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 wait. We, we never saw you there. And he says, to those that do it to the least of my brother, you did it to me. See what he's saying there? He's saying, you had an opportunity. You made the most of it. You visited me when I was in prison. You fed me when I was hungry. See, that's essentially what Jesus is saying. So talents, don't get, don't get caught up in this this parable to think that talent is only money. It is money, but it's much more than that. It's opportunities that we have. If we are slaves, and if Jesus is our Master, and if everything that we have belongs to Him, then we're merely managing His resources. The question is, is that how you operate? (laughs) Is it your car and your house and your family and your kids and your job and... I mean, really, I mean, that's essentially what we're asking. Whose is it? In other words, is your life your own or does it belong to Jesus? How you answer this question shows your true master. So here's the third thing we can draw from this passage. The state of our heart. 
The state of our heart is revealed by our service. And that's what this parable is all about. See, the parable is showing us the state of the servant's heart. It's because, you know, you can do the right thing. We sang that song, Lord, I want to give you my heart, right? Um, and, and we could serve. We could go out and serve the community. We can give money. We can do all those things. But the question is, why are we doing it? What's the motive that's beneath the surface? Why are we doing it? Why are we kind to people? Why are we forgiving of people? Why do we serve people? Why do we help? Why do we do it? What's behind? Or why don't we do it, right? So in, in the parable, two of the slaves invest their master's money and they make him a profit. In other words, they use the resources they were given to profit the master, not themselves. Okay, so the point here you have to understand is when God gives you resources, opportunities, gifts and abilities, he doesn't give them to you to serve yourself. He gives them so that you can serve him. Right. That's what he wants. Now, does that mean you can't take care of yourself? You can't save money. You can't send your kids through college. You can't enjoy it. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is just saying I have more than I need. Now, what do I do with that? What, and am I making the most of the opportunities? Am I investing what God has given me? Or am I multiplying them for His kingdom? By doing this, though, the servants revealed their hearts. Their actions are for their Master. They honor Him by their actions. Their actions prove that they love and respect. The first two servants, their actions prove that they love and they, are, they desire to serve their Master. They prove it by their actions. I, I doubled your money. Both of them essentially say, I doubled your money. Because I love you. Because you have to understand, the master here is, is God, Jesus. And when you understand who the master is and what he's done for you, you see, we don't have that in the parable, what the master has already done for the slaves. We know that, but, but that's not the point of the parable. The parable is basically saying, where is the heart of the slave in, these, in this parable? And the first two is basically saying their heart was with their master. Then there's a turn. Now, let me just say this very quickly. This parable is not demonstrating that we are saved by our works. It is showing us, it is showing if we are saved, it is showing the state of our heart. It is not saying, okay, well, these, these two servants, first servants, they earned their way into the graces of the Master. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying because they already loved and respected the Master, their lives characterized that by their actions. The, the, second, the, the third slave, as we'll see in just a moment, he didn't like the Master. He hated the Master. He, and and, and he, you'll see how he characterized the Master. He does not like the Master, and His actions show it. It proves His heart. That's the point of the parable. See, our actions reveal our heart. Jesus said this too. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, our mouths speak. Where's your tongue been lately? What have you said about people and to people lately? Have you gossiped? Have you raised people up or down? I mean, you could be at work or, you know, wherever, and you could say stuff about people or hear stuff said about people. And the question is, do you join in? Are you part of it? See? 
And so Jesus is just merely saying, that's where your heart is. He also said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, the, mo- the thing that you treasure the most is what you'll give your time and everything for. You'll live for it. You'll, you'll die for it. You'll build your life for it. So Jesus is showing by this parable that two of these servants, he had their heart. But there was one servant he didn't. Let's talk about him, the wicked slave. He shows his contempt and hatred for the master by taking the money and, and, and wasting it. The servant's inaction, in, in effect, was a clear affront to the master's authority as well to his character. Notice how he describes the master. He describes him as harsh and unfair, right? Now, you can read that. Don't read that and say, just because he said it, it's true. The point is, not necessarily... Jesus, in the parable, the master's not saying when the wicked slave comes, well, I knew you were a harsh and unfair you know, master and a bad person. You know, the, the master doesn't say, you're right, I am. He was saying, okay, let's just take your own words and let's make a case based upon what you just said to me. You said to me I was a harsh master. You said to me that I took money that wasn't mine. You said to me I was dishonest and I was bad. All right, if, if that's the case, I'm a harsh master and I'm not fair and I'm not good, then doesn't it make sense based upon your own words and your own logic that if you just put the money in a bank and gave me the interest, we would be okay right now. But you didn't do that. And the reason you didn't do it on purpose is you wanted to put it to me because you hate me. That's essentially, the master's not saying that's a fair characterization of who I am. All he's doing is taking the words of the the wicked slave and he's saying, okay, let's just for a moment think that what you're saying is true. If that's the case, then why didn't you at least do this? So he's condemned based upon his own words. He wasn't worried about falling into the bad graces of the master. He was opposed to the master. He hated the master. His view of the master, notice too, his view of the master is in stark contrast with the other two slaves. Here's the last principle. The joy of our reward, the praise of the master. How are the slaves rewarded? The evil slave is cast away from the master. All that he has been given is taken away and given to the other slave. Now, I think one of the worst things about hell is that you will not be with God. You will not be with Jesus. And I think Jesus will give you exactly what you want. If you don't want to be with Jesus now, you won't be with Him in eternity and it will be hell. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things that go along with it, but I think that's by far the worst thing. After all, if He's the one who created us in His image and He has a purpose and a plan for our lives and, and He died on the cross for us and loved us that much, and we, if we separate ourselves completely from that, we separate ourselves from life and hope and joy and peace and everything in life. Not in just in this life, but in the next. So what does He do to the good slaves? The good slaves are given more. Now, it must be, we need to reemphasize the Master referred to to the talents that he gave to the slaves as little. (laughs) When he gives them the talents, he says, it's a little. So he's got a lot more in in his treasury. 
more important, the invitation was to enter the Master's joy. He, he, it's a celebration. He's saying, come on, I've got a part. we're going to have a party. And you think about the, the prodigal son, remember? And the younger son goes and spends all the wealth. He, he waits. But the one thing that the prodigal son does is he turns and he repents and he comes back to his father and he's ready to pay his dad off and his dad throws his arms around him and says, you're back. Hey, let's have a party. See, God is always looking at our heart. He's always looking at our heart. And he says to these servants, who he has their heart, he says, man, have I got a party plan for you. Come on in. They're given praise. They're given joy. And that's the true motivation of the master in the relationship of his servants that they will experience His joy forever. But I think one of the best things that every one of us in this room wants to hear from our Father in Heaven, who has called us slaves, who has said, I've given you talents, opportunities. The words I want to hear is, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Let's have a party. Now, there's an interesting parallel, and I don't have a lot of time, but I just want to really quickly talk about it. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, and they were in the Promised Land, and they were taken to the brink of the Promised Land. Spies were sent into the land. There were 12 spies, one for each of the tribes. They came back with a report. Ten of the, ten of the, ten of the uh, spies <clears throat> came back with a negative report. They said, the land's great, but there's no way we're going to take it. There's no way. We can't do this. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, the land is great, the giants are big, but our God is bigger. Essentially, that's, that's boiling it down. Those ten, those ten spies and the people that they got around them to say, we, we're not going to do anything, we're not going, we're not going to do it, we're not going to be obedient. They died in the wilderness. The two spies that were faithful entered into the land. This is similar to what's going on there. The Old Testament example. It's the same principle. That when you love the Master, when you trust the Master, when you understand what He's done for you, you realize that everything you have and everything you've been given is a gift. And that the greatest reward that the Master could ever give you is just the words where He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. So what are talents today? I think I hit on that what has God given you today? Well, He's given you money. He's given you time. He's given you relationships. He's given you gifts and abilities. But probably the best way to think of a modern day of application of this is that God gives you every day opportunities. He gives you opportunities. And He says, I'm giving you as a slave opportunities. I'm coming back. 
And one day I'm going to just show up and I'm going to ask you, how'd you do? How'd you do? (laughs) And at that moment, our heart will be revealed. You know where your heart is tonight. You know where your heart is, whether you're in this Kennedy campus or the UD campus. You know where your heart is right now. You, your, your actions show whether you're a slave of Jesus or you're just kind of doing your own thing. One day, though, the Master's going to come and He's going to say, what have you done? I pray that none of us has to say, I took the opportunities and I buried them under the dirt because I just didn't really care about you. I hope that you'll say, you gave me these opportunities and they were multiplied. And I hope he'll say to you one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. And Father, that is, I think, what we all want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. So that begs the question, are we your slaves or are we serving ourselves? Are we making the most of the talents, the opportunities that you've given to us? Or are we wasting them all on ourselves? Are we making the most of the people and the places and the things that happen during our day that we see them as you testing us, helping us to see our heart in the conversations we're having, in the way that we use our money and our resources and our talent and our time and all those things? Are are we using them for your glory or are we just kind of doing stuff for ourselves? Where's our heart? Father, I pray that one day I would stand before you and you would say, Well done, Matt. Well done. And I thank you, Father, that you desire us to join you in your joy forever. May we live lives as your slaves. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.